0: Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this incredible day. And Jesus, we love you. We praise you. Lord, as we prepare our hearts for the Lord's, for your table, as we remember and celebrate what Jesus has done for us. Father, we thank you for that great love. And Lord Jesus, just reading this passage over and over this week, there's so many ways we could go. So Holy Spirit, be our teacher. Give me your words to say only what you want. Bring conviction, encouragement, comfort, Transformation. Father, that you would glorify your son and everything we say and do today. We ask these things in your precious name, Jesus. Amen and amen. Well, you may be seated and welcome to the church at Woodbine. It is a pleasure seeing each and every one of you all today. Those online, we're so glad you've joined us. Before we dive into this passage, just a couple quick announcements and thank yous. We had two videos. And one, there was a handful of people we saw in the video. You might not have any idea who they are. You saw one up on stage worshiping, helping lead worship, Daniel, but we have our ministry residents who are here with us today. So welcome. Let's give them all a big round of applause, big hand. We're so glad you guys are here. For those who don't know what the ministry residency is or what's a ministry resident. For the past numerous years, Brentwood Baptists, we've had a ministry training that we call a residency. In the past, it was for one year. And many of you guys know, Winston, Andrew, and others were part of the ministry residency. Now it's for two years. And so they have their new second generation starting, what, was it July 1st? Is that when it started? July 1st. So they're here today. They're visiting all the eight campuses over these next several weeks, just as one of them said, to see behind the curtain. Of our church and what church life is all about, serving in the church, and so we're so glad you guys are here. And may today be an incredible blessing for you all. Welcome, and may Holy Spirit glorify His Son in in, in each of you today. So thank you for being here, and it's an honor to have y'all here. The second thing is, I just want to say thank you to everyone who served in our day camp. Again, we saw a quick little video is awesome. Now my right knee, I can hardly walk. I play basketball. I was in charge of basketball. I'm still wondering how Lauren kind of sweet talked me into uh, coaching basketball out there on that hard pavement when it was 99 degrees and with the asphalt and everything. I'm just teasing. It was awesome. But what I want to say is I want to say thank you. Uh, as you saw, we had like 34 volunteers, like 54 kids. So it's like a one to two ratio. But just everyone who served, who helped, who prayed, just behind the scenes, Donna Keel, thank you so much for the backdrop. If you didn't see it, bummer, you'll have to come back for Christmas because I think we'll put some of it up at Christmas. It was awesome. And I just want to say thank you to Lauren Jones, our staff, and then all you guys that helped serve, and then just praying. It just is awesome. So thanks. And there's always next year. And also, too, Project Connect helped sponsor a cookout on Thursday night. Guys, when we announced the cookouts that Project Connect does, it's for everyone, okay? And, like, there are, like, 150 people here. And there were a lot of you who were here. But, like, it was just awesome. You know, burgers, hot dogs, lots of chips, lots of Dr. Pepper, you know, just games, just watching the kids. So uh, you guys are more than welcome when you hear about the cookouts. Please come participate. It's a great way to dive in. Alrighty, First, first Thessalonians chapter four, if you've got your Bibles or if you're using a phone, it will be up on the screen. First Thessalonians chapter four, starting in verse one. And as we go through this little bitty book, just quick context, Paul and his ministry team and his second missionary journey, they passed through Thessalonica. It says in the book of Acts chapter 17, that for three Sabbaths, he taught in the synagogue. Several of the Jews and leading women of the, of the city and many of the god who are Gentiles, they put their faith in Jesus. But after those three weeks, there was severe persecution so bad that Paul and his team fled. And there he's leaving this new church. And could you imagine having been a Christian just for a month, a couple weeks, and your pastors, your leaders, they all leave because of persecution. And weeks, months go by and Paul is so concerned for the well-being of this church that he sends Timothy back to see how they're doing. And then Timothy returns back to Paul and by that time he's in Corinth. And Timothy gives this amazing, glowing report on how the church at Thessalonica is doing and they're doing really well. Now they're not perfect and we're actually going to see some of the issues that they really struggled with. But they're doing really well as young believers following the Lord Jesus, loving him, loving one another. Paul is so encouraged that he writes this letter. First Thessalonians back to them to encourage them. Now on Friday night, my two boys are out of town. So Friday night is what we call family night. Quick little story. And usually it's pizza and movies, pizza and games. Pizza is usually included on family fun night. You can tell, right? Pizza. And so it's just Margie, Christy and I. We're sitting outside on the deck and Margie asks, so daddy, what fun story are you going to share on Sunday? Because, as most of you guys know, I try to come up with some lighthearted story to kind of break the ice in my sermons. And I said, Nanya. Now, do y'all know what Nanya means? Nanya? And she just kind of stared and looked at me. I said, Nanya. And uh, she kind of was grinning. She knew I was kind of teasing, but she wasn't quite sure. None of your business. Nanya. And when I was planning this sermon almost a year ago, there's a phrase, there's a verse that we're going to read and look at today where Paul tells the Thessalonians, mind your own business. Now, the story I was going to share is actually a song and you're not going to, I'm going to spare you from listening to it, but there's a famous country, country rock singer named, named Hank Williams Jr., better known as Bocephus. I love Hank. I listen to this stuff all the time. Now, My family does not love Hank, but he's got a song called Mind Your Own Business. And this was the original story I was going to share today. This is what his song says. Minding other people's business seems to be high-toned. That means very popular, okay? I got all that I can do just to mind my own. If you mind your own business, then you won't be minding mine. If you mind your own business, you'll stay busy all the time. Who likes a meddler? None of us do but many of us like the metal. Here in North America, we pride ourselves in that rugged individualism. Just me and Jesus. But is this really what Paul was talking about when he said, mind your own business? Was Paul really saying none to the Thessalonians? Or was it something different? Maybe it revolved around personal responsibility, and being faithful with what God has given us. Let's see, right here, 1 Thessalonians chapter four, starting in verse one, and I left my glasses. Oh man, what are we gonna do? As Paul teaches, and right here in verse one, he says, additionally, then brothers and sisters, we ask and encourage you in the Lord that as you have received instruction from us on how you should live and please God, as you are doing, do this even more. For you know what commands we gave you through the Lord Jesus. Right here, this word additionally, this is a major shift in this little letter. The first three chapters of Thessalonians, Paul is just encouraging the Thessalonians. He's reminding them of the love that they have for them. He's pointing them back to Jesus. Last week, we looked at an amazing apostolic prayer, which is in chapter 3, verses 11 through 13, where Paul is praying that may the Lord make your love increase and overflow. I have a a hat that I'm passing out for the overflow of water, of the water leak in my front yard. So, you know, there's not much money in it. So it's out in the foyer. No, I'm just teasing. But our love would overflow. For those who don't know that joke, I shared a joke that we had a busted pipe in my front yard last week. So it's fixed. But we've all seen water overflowing out of a bucket or flowing down the street. But that is Paul's prayer to the Thessalonians, that their love for one another would overflow and that it would abound and grow. And then right here, additionally, you see, when Paul left, because he was only there just for a short few weeks, he was concerned that the foundation of their faith was not solid. And I showed some pictures last week of some pretty rickety houses. And I can imagine, because Paul talks a lot about building and houses and how they are built. I can imagine he thinks this is the Thessalonian church right here, not the building. But the believers as believers, they've got a foundation, but they lack so much because he was with them for such a short time. See, so he wants to return to them and continue to teach them and to encourage them. And I know that he's concerned because Paul knows what is happening in the culture. and We're going to look at part of that culture today that he's concerned that the spiritual house of Thessalonica is going to look like maybe some of these other houses where there is no foundation or it's upside down or they get really confused, which they did about Jesus' second coming and that the house that they'll fall and they'll collapse and they'll succumb to the pressures and trials and temptations and afflictions and they'll actually will turn their back on Jesus and they won't remain faithful. So right here, Paul has encouraged them. He says, additionally, brothers and sisters, we ask and we encourage and that word for encourage could also mean and we urge you and we spur you on. In the Lord Jesus, that what you've received from us, the instructions that you receive from us and these first couple of verses, they might look like a very simple command. But twice, Paul says the instructions that we gave you in the Lord Jesus, the commands that we gave you in the Lord Jesus. Now, none of us are the apostle Paul. But Paul knew that he was an ambassador for Jesus Christ. And what is an ambassador? An ambassador is someone who is sent to another country with the authority and power of the one who has sent him or her. We all are ambassadors of Christ. So that means God has sent us through his son, Jesus Christ, in the power of the Holy Spirit, to be his ambassadors of reconciliation First and foremost, back to our Heavenly Father through faith in Christ and also with one another. So as ambassadors of Christ, if we are proclaiming the gospel, if we're proclaiming God's truth, we have his authority and his power residing in us, not because of who we are by ourselves, but because of who he is and what he's done in and through us through the power and presence of Holy Spirit. So Paul is encouraging these Thessalonians, look, as you have obeyed and as you have loved, remember what we've taught you. And it's not just mere words of men and women, but these are God's words. These are Jesus instructions. So don't take it lightly. And then look what Paul says. Verse three, for this is God's will. Your sanctification. You know, there are concepts in scripture that can be really confusing. They can be really hard. They can be complicated. Someone asked in summer Sundays this morning at ten twenty nine, so what happens to the spiritual gifts that God's given us that we don't use? Praise the Lord, it became ten thirty. I said, You're gonna have to invite me out for coffee for that answer. But there are other aspects of Scripture and of God's will that is very clear. It might be really hard to follow if we use and trust our own strength. But Paul is saying right here, for this is God's will for you, your sanctification. We have to remember, this is what? The Bible, the B-I-B-L-E, the basic instructions before leaving earth. This is what the Bible is. It's the basic instructions before leaving earth. And God wants us to know his will, and he's given us his love letter to know what he wants, to know his heart. We read the written word to encounter the living word. This is God's will, your sanctification, that you keep away from sexual immorality, that each of you knows how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not with lustful passions like the Gentiles who don't know God. This means one must not transgress against and take advantage of a brother or sister in this manner, because the Lord is an avenger of all these offenses, as we also previously told and warned you. For God has not called us to impurity, but to live in holiness. Consequently, Anyone who rejects this does not reject man, but God who gives you his Holy Spirit. This is God's will, your sanctification. Now, what is sanctification? There's some big words. You might have heard of justification. And then there's glorification. Justification is God declaring us who are unrighteous, Righteous because of faith in Jesus Christ and what he's done with his atoning death on the cross for our sins. That's justification. If you believe in Jesus, God declares us righteous. We are no longer unrighteous, but righteous. We're a new creation. We're a new person. We're forgiven and we no longer have guilt. It's because of Jesus' work on the cross. That's justification. Right, Mary? Absolutely. Then there's glorification, where when we die or when Jesus returns, but when we see Jesus face to face, he will glorify and transform our body, our hearts, our minds, and we will become just like him in a new, perfect body. That's glorification. What's in the middle? Sanctification. And sanctification, and there's tons of definitions you could use. I tried to make it simple. Sanctification is the process of being sanctified, being made holy, being set apart for God and his purposes. Day by day by day by day by day. It's his work of his presence of his Holy Spirit in us. Now the posture of our hearts has to be one of humble, willing obedience to him, and his word, and his spirit working in our lives. But it's this process going from we're declared justified, we're forgiven, new life. But as we live this life, it's valleys of up and down. We're described as a journey. We're described as foreigners, as extraterrestrials on this planet. And God touches us and he transforms us and he sanctifies us until we see Jesus face to face. Now, Paul says right here, this is God's will your sanctification. And then he describes it. And I have two questions when I read this, because he says, keep away from sexual morality, that each of you knows how to control his own body and holiness and honor, not with lustful passions like the Gentiles who don't know God. Dami, your translation was awesome. Pagans. Woof. This means one must not transgress against and take advantage of a brother or a sister in this manner. Because the Lord is an Avenger. Now, he's not Iron Man. He's not the Hulk. He's not Black Widow. But he is an Avenger. He's the original Avenger. He is the Avenger. I lost my place. Of all these offenses, as we also previously told and warned you, for God has not called us to impurity, but to live in holiness. Consequently, anyone who rejects this does not reject man, but God who gives you his Holy Spirit. And we could talk forever about this passage, and I want to be careful. But right here, when Paul talks about sanctification and sexual immorality, I have two questions. The first one is this. What is sexual immorality? And number two, what is happening in Thessalonica for Paul to address this issue right here? Let me explain what's going on in Thessalonica. It's first century. It's the Roman Empire. It's the Greco-Roman culture. And in that culture, at that time, hyper-sexual activity was extremely prevalent during Paul's day all throughout the Mediterranean and Roman world. The Greco-Roman religion permeated all aspects of life. And that's Zeus, Jupiter, Venus, Aphrodite, Dionysus, the Greek gods. And by Paul's day, they had to begin to be transformed over to the Roman names but that culture and that religion, which was the universal religion of the empire, it permeated every aspect of life. And when you read First Corinthians, you'll see Paul talking a lot about meat sacrificed to idols. Totally different subject, totally different topic. But it's part of the aspect of the religion of the time. And Christianity was considered an atheistic religion because they only believed, we only believe in one God. That was craziness for the culture back then. But because the Greco-Roman religion permeated all aspects of society and of life, this religion was flooded with state-sanctioned religious prostitution and activity. There were numerous fertility gods celebrating and requiring sexual activity within everyday religious practices. It was happening all the time. Sculptures, paintings, statues, and buildings celebrating these fertility gods and their sexual actions. Adultery, prostitution, sexual activity with multiple partners, open marriages, pornography, homosexual activity, were not only tolerated, but were common, normal, and even celebrated in the mainstream culture. They're being inundated. Paul knew the incredible pressures that these young believers were facing in their lives. And he feared that they would succumb to the temptations and trials and return to their old lives or succumb to the cultural pressures that they faced every day. That is what was going on in Thessalonica. That is why he focused so much. Sexual morality, this is what sexual morality is. All forms of sexual activity between two or more people outside of the covenant relationship of marriage between one man and one woman. That is sexual immorality. It includes adultery, sex outside of marriage, sex with your boyfriend or girlfriend, homosexual acts, plus the horrific abuses of rape, incest, and the like. Sexual immorality is not just limited to the physical acts, but also the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Right here in verse 7, Paul says, For God has not called us to impurity, but to live in holiness. That word of impurity addresses the intentions and thoughts of our hearts. And Paul reminds the Thessalonians, We're not called to impurity, but to holiness. Those of you who know your scripture, you know Jesus himself said when he's confronted about divorce and adultery, he says, You've heard it written. Do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in her heart. God judges and sees the heart, and he judges the intentions of our heart plus our actions. And what Paul is saying here, he says, God is an avenger of all these offenses. And he tells the brothers and sisters here Thessalonica, do not take advantage of one another. Because it was very common to have multiple partners, even if you were married. Heterosexual relationships, homosexual relationships, activity, it didn't matter. And it was celebrated. It was normal. It was common. Kind of sounds like the 21st century, doesn't it? The phrase we say in Spanish, ah, que tiene. Well, that doesn't matter. Who cares? And that was the attitude that was coming down upon them. And Paul is saying, look, have nothing to do with sexual morality. In other passages, he says, flee from it. He tells us, keep away from sexual morality. Know how to control your own body and holiness and honor. Do not follow the lustful passions of the Gentiles, the pagans, those who don't know God. Do not transgress and take advantage of a fellow brother or sister in this matter. There's so much that we can apply to it today. And I read a statistic the other day as I was preparing for this sermon. By the age of 40, 95% of all Americans would have engaged in sexual activity, whether they're married or not. It's pervasive. The reality is that the Lord, He is an avenger, of all these offenses, offenses. And there are consequences to all of our decisions. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians, the only sin against our body are sexual sins. And I'm sure you've seen the example I've given it when you take two pieces of construction paper and you cut it out in the shape of a heart and you glue them together. And then you wait 30 seconds, you peel it apart, they stick to each other. They rip apart. And that is what sexual morality it destroys our emotions, our hearts, our souls. And Paul knows. God knows. And here's the deal. Sex was created by God. It's his idea. And it's an incredible gift that he's given. And his will is that its in It's celebrated in the context of marriage between one man and one woman. And it's awesome, and it's glorious, and it's wonderful within that context. Every other way is a perversion. And it's powerful as we experience it today in our own lives. Paul's very strong here. He says, anyone who rejects this does not reject man, but God who gives us his Holy Spirit. Real quickly, I read this book this past winter, just reading it, it's, written by a pastor, a youth pastor, for teenagers. So I'm going to read it. And I gave it to my boys. And I'm like, man, we got to pass this out like candy to by in the church. This is an incredible little book to read, regardless if you're old, young. If you have kids, don't have kids. And I'll tell you this, if you have children, if you're not talking to your children about what God's heart and his desire, about sexual relationships, Age appropriately, though, please. Someone else is. Our children are getting, they are in a room and the water has risen up to their nose. Getting inundated with all types of sexual confusion. And we need to point them to Jesus and walk alongside them. If you don't have children, pray for our parents who do. They so desperately need it. This is heavy stuff. Let's come up for a breather. I'll go ahead and jump a little bit. I do want to say this. If you are struggling with lust, with pornography, or maybe just a very non-God-honoring sexual relationship with somebody, there is hope and forgiveness in and through Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you, don't keep it hidden. If you need to throw your smartphone away and buy you a dumb phone with no access to anything on the internet, do it. Find a healthy accountability partner. Men with men, women with women. If Satan is overwhelming you with the voice of accusation, Share that with somebody. We have a counselor that can walk with you. We have a group of people that are being trained, even with freedom prayer. Carolyn and Dustin have already talked to us a lot about it. You don't have to fight that fight alone. There is hope. There is healing. There is forgiveness. And Satan wants to keep all of that. He He wants to insist upon you to keep it quiet and in the closet. If you're struggling even with your own sexuality, just on behalf of the church, I want to say sorry if you've ever felt like you didn't have a safe place to be honest, to share how you're really feeling and the questions or confusion you have. This should be the safest place for anyone to be transparent and honest and barf on stage saying, this is what I'm going through. We will walk with you through it all. There are no stones being thrown. If you have been sexually abused, you are not guilty of sexual immorality. You're the victim of it. And Jesus can and will bring healing. I see it in his word. And after 10 years of sexual abuse in my own life as a little child with multiple people, abusers. He is faithful to heal, and it is a process. There's hope and there's healing, but we've got to put it into the light. And if you trust Holy Spirit to help you, he will bring healing, and we are committed to walk with you. Okay. Finally, and this will be pretty quick. These last few verses here. Let's stand as we read this. About brotherly love. You don't we don't need to write you because you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. In fact, you're doing this toward all the brothers and sisters in the entire region of Macedonia. But we encourage you brothers and to do this even more, to seek to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business. There's the nunya. To work with your hands as we command you, so that you may behave properly in the presence of outsiders and not be dependent on anyone. Y'all may be seated very quickly. One of the characteristics of the First Thessalonian church is, man, they were radical in their love for each other. So much so that when Timothy got there, word had already spread throughout the entire region of Macedonia. Holy cow, the Thessalonian church is amazing. They've turned from serving these useless, worthless idols, and they're serving the living God. And the sacrifice and love that they have for one another is amazing. But some of the problems that the Thessalonian church had, because no church is perfect, there were meddlers, and there were gossips, and there were people who were idle and lazy. They misunderstood when Paul said that Jesus is coming back. They misunderstood that. Well, he's coming back next month. I'm not going to work. I'm not going to plow that field. I'm not going to do anything. Jesus is coming back. And so some in the church were lazy. Some in the church were taking advantage of the wealthy people in the church and the generosity that they gave. So that's why Paul said, mind your own business, work with your own hands, don't be dependent upon anyone. Now, we all need to be codependent, so to speak, because we're one body. The finger just can't decide to be by itself without the hand, without the rest of the body. But all of us are called to be responsible for our own actions, our own lives, our own choices and our own decisions. All of us are victims. Some of us are born with three strikes already. Life is not fair. But that's not an excuse to not be responsible for our own actions and our own life choices. And so right here, Paul is saying, mind your own business. In other words, don't meddle in other people's lives when you shouldn't. He tells the Galatians to carry one another's burdens. So we've got to blend that teaching together. But basically what Paul's calling the Thessalonian church to be is be responsible. Take personal responsibility. Be faithful. In the same way, Jesus said this in Matthew 5, 16. Let your light so shine before men that when they see your good works, they will praise our Father in heaven. I want to tell you as a church, I love Woodbine. In Summer Sundays, we were talking a lot about Woodbine of the past when i first got here there were like 40 legacy numbers and over the past seven years that group has gotten smaller and smaller and smaller i know some of you worship online i want to say thank you for your faithfulness and loving jesus and loving one another and the example you gave thank you and i want to thank you because this past week with day camp I saw so much of the Thessalonian church and you as a church body. And I want to say, keep loving him. Keep loving one another. He is faithful to sanctify all of us for his glory.